0: into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Philippe is the co-founder of Climate Farmers, and Ashoka changemaker and is scaling regenerative agriculture in Europe. In the conversation, Philippe shares his journey, which started on the German countryside, but then led him to starting a nightclub and later becoming a social entrepreneur and a co-founder of multiple organizations over the years. We spoke about culture, what it means to genuinely take care of your people and how to keep balance while doing all of that. Hi, Philippe. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast.
1: Hey, pleasure to be here, with.
0: You. It's a pleasure to have you here as well. I tend to begin with, can you start by sharing who you are and what do you do these days?
1: Sure. Well, my name is Philippe. I'm born in the countryside in Germany. I so grew up in a very agricultural context. Then I basically did what most people do in the countryside. I left to, to move to the city, studied in the Netherlands, got very deep into impact entrepreneurship and nightlife in my 20s. So I had a nightclub in Amsterdam for three years, and I worked and set up different impact entrepreneurships. And then at the same time, I always wanted to go back to the countryside and have a bit more nature around me. So in 2017, me and some friends bought an old abandoned village in Portugal, had basically in total 50 people living there at the, upon a time and was empty since the 60s. And the idea was to basically rebuild the village as mm-hmm. a community. And through that, we also have 20 hectares of land, which got me back into agriculture and then into the amazing potential of regenerative agriculture to essentially reverse climate change and to turn our agricultural system from the one which is causing climate change is 24% of all greenhouse gas emissions to a solution to it. And then that got me down the regenerative trail, which I have been on now for four years. And that led to me and my co-founder, Ivo, to start a company in 2020. And right now we have 32 people working there. So we scaled last year from 16 to 32 people, something that's still a bit hard to grasp for me sometimes. And yeah, we're currently working in 16 different European Union countries, supporting farmers in the transition towards uh, regenerative agriculture.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share a little bit more of your backstory? So how do the dots connect, right? Agriculture, nightlife, nightclub, uh, yeah. entrepreneurship, right? Where do you drive your passion? Where do you come from? And what has helped you to get where you're today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the starting point is in my childhood. So I'm definitely strongly an ADHD candidate. So that I'm very extroverted. I have a lot of energy, but I don't fit very well into existing structures. And so as a child already, we also didn't have much money at home. So I already was doing a lot of companies basically from the time that I was fourteen years old on and earning my own money. And then I did my exchange semester in two thousand ten at university in South Africa. And I had this bit cliche realization of how privileged I am just by having a German passport. And then I went to a TED talk back then in 2010 by two amazing South Africans who were speaking about the Avetu project and who introduced me to social entrepreneurship. And then since then I basically kind of shifted my personal mindset and goal from basically earning money while having fun to actually having a positive impact. And then I came back, and before that, I used to organize parties, basically commercially. And then I started a foundation together with two of my best friends called the Love Foundation, where we basically organize parties to fundraise money for Water Project. The idea is you go out and you have a good time, but all the money gets donated. And all the people that are active in it do it out of love and do it because they like the cause and they like what they're doing. So you basically give people a platform to live out their passions. And that thing completely imploded exploded so we essentially spread to i think in total at some point we were like in 30 different cities in the world and uh, i stepped out three years ago in order to focus on my new project climate farmers but La foundation is still up and running and since then i've basically been always involved in different projects I was working at fairphone trying to work on a more sustainable smartphone industry and now basically since three years very focused on climate change because i believe if we don't work on climate change then what are we doing with our times because i think this is the biggest threat that we have at the uh-huh. moment, to our planet and to our own human well-being as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. And at the same time, who have been some of those people who have influenced you the
1: most? I think one of the key people was the founders of the Aveto project. And then when I came back, I organized a conference on social entrepreneurship. And that was the founder of Viva Con Aqua, which is a German NGO, which is also having the slogan kind of of a fundraising with joy. And he's called mm-hmm. Benjamin Adrillion. And he was really someone where I saw very much like wow, it's actually possible to have a positive impact and a good life and to really make your passion your work and to actually have the line between work and non-work being very blurry. So I don't yeah. think I have a work-life balance because I just have life. And Benjamin was, I think, the first person that taught me this. So I would say he was kind of the the first real mentor that I have and someone that I'm very happy to call a friend right now as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that passion clearly shows in what you're doing and even yeah. now in how you're sharing about it. So can you share a little bit more about the vision, the future vision that you want to create or change?
1: Sure. I mean, I believe one of the core issues that we're having in our society is the fact that we're very disconnected from nature Mm -hmm. due to several cultural reasons, religion definitely being a major one of them. Human beings have the tendency nowadays to see themselves outside of nature, right? So there's always the saying, we think we are apart from nature, but in reality, we are a part of nature. We're just one species on this planet. And the problem that we're facing right now is because we're not accepting that, right? And we're trying to exploit nature and not to live according to how an ecosystem should be functioning. And I believe that one of the many aspects that are very much affected by this is agriculture and our agricultural system. We are doing a very exploitative agricultural system right now, which is polluting the environment, which is depleting our soils, which is decreasing biodiversity on a massive scale. And basically with the work of climate farmers and with scaling regenerative agriculture, we want to do the first step in this and bringing humans back in connection with nature and also showing them again how beautiful farms can actually be and how we can live in a way that's actually in line with the planet. I don't believe that we have too many humans. I don't believe that we cannot grow as a population. I do believe that we need to change our ways if we want to live on this planet in the long one and in the medium and maybe even short one nowadays.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Can you share a bit more specifics of maybe two or three things that you would like to see different or that you are already working upon?
1: I mean, I think if I would have a magic wand, the one thing that I would love to change in this world would be to have true cost accounting. Now, I'm not sure how familiar your listeners are with this concept, but it basically means that we are accounting for the true cost of production of a good. At the moment most of what you're paying for is essentially just what companies invest in branding and marketing and in the production costs of what you're buying. But it doesn't actually account of what is the cost to the environment? What is the cost to our planet? And what is the cost to other human beings in that product? Many products that we're buying, such as for example, a very good example is like an iPhone, which has a very exploitative way of getting there, right? The people who are putting it together are not getting well paid. The minerals come from mines, which are often controlled by rebel groups. So there's a lot of suffering involved in it. And afterwards they get thrown away and not recycled. And then you have a Fairphone, which is a phone that's put together in a circular way so that you can mm-hmm. replace the parts that pays a fair salary but you pay more money for a phone that's performing worse. And in the same way, you pay more money for a train than for a flight, But we're not accounting for the environmental damage. So I think the main thing that I would love to change is that we take everything into account, because in the end, we are paying the cost in terms of environmental damage and climate change. We're just not paying directly to the companies, which are actually causing the harm.
0: Yeah. And the work that you're doing also has a non-profit arm along with like a for-profit company. Can you share how these two work together? Because the vision that you just described is huge, is global. So how do you play a role? What role do you play? And how do you serve as a catalyst or as somebody who is driving that change in this vast ecosystem?
1: Certainly. So when I started diving into regenerative agriculture in 2017 to 2019, I found papers from Wageningen University talking about this carbon sequestration from the 80s. And uh, I found a lot of, basically, knowledge already on the topic. So it seems that we know that regenerative agriculture is a much better alternative to the conventional or industrial agriculture that we're doing, but it's not happening. No one is doing it, but now there's a movie Kiss the Ground that came out, so there's a bit of a hype around regenerative agriculture, but back then it was very niche still. Hmm. And uh, so I tried to find out why that is the case, and I did that by visiting farms. So I was looking for all the regenerative farmers that I could find and I visited them and I worked with them and I stayed with them. It was in total 60 farmers and I asked them what they think, why it's not happening, why it's not scaling and what they need in support. And based on that, we've started setting up climate farmers. And on the nonprofit side of things, the two things that farmers were always telling us is the one problem is, I would say, it's not sexy to be a farmer. So there's not a lot of recognition for farmers in society. So we're doing a lot of storytelling and we picked the name Climate Farmers in order to explain to the people why we believe that regenerative farmers are the heroes of our times. And then the other part is that they were interested in exchanging with other regenerative farmers on their experiences and them getting context-specific support, how they can do things differently on their farm. So we started setting up basically farmer communities. Initially, we tried to do this on Slack, being a good startup, but that's not a good idea. Farmers are on WhatsApp. So now we're doing it on WhatsApp and we're organizing farm visits for farmers. And we're organizing online skill calls. And we also started setting up a farm coach matching arm. So we essentially match farmers with coaches, which can help them in this specific context. So we have 115 coaches and agronomists in there. And this is the nonprofit side of things. And on the for-profit side of things, we're essentially doing true cost accounting for farmers. So we're helping farmers to figure out what is the ecosystem benefits that they are generating for all of us, such as sequestering carbon in the soil, increasing biodiversity on the farm, And also increasing soil water storage capacity. And we package all of that in an ecosystem or carbon plus certificate. And then we sell that to companies that want to compensate for their CO2 emissions in a meaningful Mm -hmm. way. We sell this for quite a premium price because we match the companies on a local level with the farmer. So they can visit the farmer and they can build a relationship with the farmer. And through that, they can actually know and see what the impact of their contribution is compared to many of the other carbon credits which are out there you don't really know what's going on with your money.
0: Yeah. And what do you see are some of the biggest challenges that you are currently facing or you might face in the future?
1: Oh, there's a lot of them. I mean, one of the big challenges is due to the fact that farmers have not been appreciated in society. We reached a point where the average age of farmers in the European Union is 58 years old. Now, as you can imagine, people who are 58 years old and five years before their retirement are not very likely to change their ways. So we have a massive issue there and we will be running into a food crisis because the next generation of farmers is just not there. And uh, most of the farmers that we see that are switching towards regenerative agriculture are between 30 and 45 years old because they still are able to harvest the fruits of the Mm. transition, which they have to start. Another major issue that we're seeing is financing. Through the uh, Carbon Plus or ecosystem credits, we can pay farmers, but this is with a one and a half delay. So farmers join the community, they create a transition plan, Then we can model the carbon, which they will be sequestering. And one year later, we can only generate the credits. And farmers need initial payment in order to get that transition done. During the first transition period, while they're building up soil health, they will have some crop loss. And we need to cover that as a society. So I would love to see something like subsidies for ecosystem services or to see agricultural or sustainable banks, insurance companies, food corporates stepping in to provide farmers with the initial financing, which they need when they want to go on that regenerative journey.
0: Yeah, and is that part of your like day-to-day role to reach out to all of these partners or people who can play the role of that partner and that support role?
1: Yes, so part of the work yeah. that we're doing is apart from the generation of the carbon plus credits for individual farmers is we're also working with food corporates, mm-hmm. supply chain transition. So many of the big food corporates like Nestle, Danone, McCain, name them. They all have realized this. They're all smart enough to know that with industrial agriculture, we will not be able to move into the future. So they have all basically made claims to transition towards regenerative agriculture. And we are supporting them in this by helping the farmers in the supply chain transition towards regenerative agriculture. So that is yeah. part of my role. And then the other part is also very team related. I work in a lot of impact startups, so I've seen a lot of things, unfortunately, going wrong. I think especially in social and impact businesses where you have very driven people, you need to handle the people very differently. Instead of you don't have an issue of motivating them, you have more of an issue of protecting them and actually mm-hmm. helping them to not have a burnout because it's a massive issue in the social business scene. So I also really loved the, the experiment with the concept of regenerative culture, regenerative leadership, and seeing how you can form a team of people essentially, which are supporting each other in the work that we're doing.
0: Yeah. And how does that play out for yourself? right? How do you manage pressure? How do you manage your own health, both physical and mental health, and then which leads to your leadership for the people that you have?
1: In my experience, the issue of burnouts and of mental health issues is most of the time related to doing things which you're not good at, doing Mm -hmm. the wrong things and having uncertainty, not about a lot of work. So the thing that we are especially looking at, we are asking every new employee and also for myself, I created something that I call a holistic context. So I look at what are the things that I'm good at, and that I enjoy. What are the things that I'm not good at, but I really want to get better at, and I enjoy them. And what are the things that I'm not good at, and I don't enjoy. And what are the things that I'm good at, but I don't enjoy them. And I try to do not much of the end of the parts which I'm not enjoying, and to focus really on where I'm good at and enjoying, or where at least I'm interested in learning, and I enjoy it, and I want to get better at it. And this way, I wake up every morning, I'm excited to work, I work a lot but I love what I'm doing. And most of my day is basically related to talking to people to essentially connect farmers with corporates and to be there for the people in our team. And these are all things which I love doing. And I try to create jobs for everybody in the company that they all love what they're doing. So I generally I always think you, you should only be doing a job if this is the one thing that you would love to do with your life. And mm-hmm. we try to fight the people and to always match the people with the right jobs.
0: How do you manage that with accountabilities that come with the role or with very practical realities of getting money in or hitting yeah. a particular number? So how do you manage that?
1: So we had the luxury as well that we won the Google Impact Challenge on climate two years ago, which gave us a 650,000 euro grant from Google and also some coaching and training. And so we have implemented OKRs and KPIs, which I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with. So we believe a lot in empowering people and then giving them freedom. So at Climate Farmers, we don't measure things in working hours. People can work whenever they want, wherever they want, however they want. We just have a week opening and a week closing, and then mm-hmm. we work in two-week sprints. So every team has, okay, r and KPIs for the quarter. These are broken down into two-week sprints and into individual, okay, us and KPIs for every person. So every two weeks, the people are presenting what they've been working on, and they are flagging if they have issues or not in the week closings and the week openings. And that way, people can manage their own time. For example, I don't believe, and I think it's crazy that companies still demand the employees to wake up at 9 a.m. in the morning and start working because some people are just not morning people so that they will not be able to perform at 9 a.m. and they can work in the evening if they want to and yeah. the teams are very self-managed and essentially this is all they were doing trying to account for the fact that people have different biorhythms, people have different needs and all that I care about is that they have everything that they need to get the job done and that they are able to reach their goals and these goals are always set quite ambitiously but we're hitting them most of the time.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And as you are working so close to the nature, right? What have you learned or what do you practice like from a leadership cultural point of view that would be beneficial for almost anybody who is maybe not even living close to nature. Even people working in like big glass buildings, working in cities, what have you learned from your special like lifestyle or living on a farm that others can also use and make benefits for
1: themselves? I think one very interesting one there is uh, cyclical living. So nature almost always operates in cycles, right? There's a water cycle, there's a carbon cycle, and there's also human cycles. And the very interesting one in that one is, for example, the female cycle. So for example, we have one thing that we established at climate farmers is to have a very open culture around speaking about this as well. And every woman at climate farmers can take a cyclical leave. So mm. if they have peri- if they have period pains, they can take off one to four days, however long they need, and there's no questions asked. And this is also in order to start raising sensitivity for the fact that doing the different phase of the cycle is different things that can be demanded or not demanded. And I think very too much in our society, it is a taboo to even talk about it, right? And mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable for women to talk about it. So we very much try to break this taboo and to open a, essentially a culture of trust where you can talk about all these kind of things. In the same way, we also had a workshop about the male cycle, which is also there. It's just a lot less extreme, but the female one. And we try to sensitize people to be aware of their own cycle and to stick to it. And in Mm -hmm. the same way, we also have a, a yearly cycle. So for example, we give every year, we give everybody off from before Christmas until the beginning of New Year on top of the normal annual holidays because we believe it's important to also have that time of rest. And we really try to accommodate for the fact that you have similar to the winter, summer, autumn, spring season to accommodate a resting period, a reflection period, as well as an action period and a planning period into everything that we're doing. So I think cyclical beings, we are and to acknowledge mm-hmm. that, and to design our work life around that is something that is very important to do.
0: Well, this is beautiful. I love this because even uh, even from my work with a lot of leaders, I still rely a lot on like, connecting with nature, like having pets or spending time with pets or spending time in uh, like taking a walk in the woods or something like that. But I think what you shared about like learning from how nature operates naturally in cycles and how can we create space for that, uh, for reflection, for growth, for learning, Uh, in a natural pace, right? And actually on a cultural level, I think this is the first time I'm hearing from a company doing it on a cultural level rather than just the leader doing it for themselves or for their closest team members. So that's wonderful to hear that you're practicing that. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Moving on to you as a person, right? Can you share something about you which most people do not know?
1: I think one fun fact is I have a Guinness Book of World Records in simultaneous fire breathing. So... Mm. I studied initially in master's in the Netherlands, and there was not much going on, and so you start having ideas, and we started looking back then with a few friends, what are Guinness Book of World Records things, which would be easy to take on, and we found out the world record for simultaneous fire breathing, I think, was around 200 people back then, so we got uh, 350 friends together, and we attempted to break the record, and we managed, and we're still record holders, which I am quite quite surprising, because we did this back in 2009, so I think that's one very interesting uh, fun fact
0: yeah, thank you for sharing that and congratulations for that. I think that's quite a crazy thing, right And yeah yeah, I just want to ask right I think everything with you which you have shared is that also a part of your personality of your leadership right to do something or to make something happen and not worry about how it looks or how it seems because this Guinness record right? I would say a lot of people would not even dream of doing it even if they know that this is something that can be done right so there is an element of craziness of almost like like a rebel that and like I've proved something, right? So can you share how does that play in your leadership?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that I think in many ways we reached the point in our society where we have a lot of standards and restrictions, mm-hmm. which we just take for granted, right? And which we just accept even though they're completely outdated. So part of that is, for example, I was very frustrated by the fact that I had to be, even in innovative social businesses, I had to be at 9 a.m. in the morning and I had to stay until 5 p.m. And it was a problem when you come in at 9.20, which makes absolutely no sense, right? And in the same way, we also have to think that we have to be in an office all the time, which also doesn't make sense. So a lot of things in my life are currently, I'm trying to break down all of Mm -hmm. these taboos and these structures, which are not accurate anymore. So for example, my life at the moment is, I spend spring and autumn, roughly in Portugal, in nature. I spend summer in Berlin and Amsterdam. And then I spend Mm -hmm. winter in the Canary Islands. Because I think areas are nice at different times of the year. So it makes sense to roam, essentially, like birds, for example, do as well. Like nature does very often as well and to adapt to the different circumstances in order for all of us to reach a richer life. And it's the same way how we're dealing with leadership. I don't need to give rules to people. I just need to empower them, and I need to listen to them, and I need to help them to listen to themselves. I need to help them to find out for themselves what is the right path. And this also means that we had it by now already a few times that for some people, maybe the right role is not anymore the climate farmers, which is also okay. And then we help them to find out what they actually want, and if they can find this within or outside of climate farmers. So we had, by now, I think four or five people that left the company, all of them are still friends of mine. And this is the kind of leader that I would always want to be, someone where the people can turn to, can someone who can listen. I think this is one of the biggest skills of a leader anyway, is not to talk, but to listen and to basically help people to find the best version of themselves, whatever that may be.
0: Absolutely. Indeed. And as you are moving ahead in this journey, right, breaking down taboos and even taking on many different uh, like established standards in the industry... Is there something which, which people get wrong about you or misunderstand about you? And then how do you deal with that perception?
1: Interesting. Is there something that people get wrong about me? Not sure, actually. I haven't had a lot of, I think, mis- sometimes people, I think, interpret me as, sometimes think I'm arrogant. I think I'm fairly self-confident mm-hmm. and know what I want. But I also know that I still have a lot of flaws, right? And I also know that I still have a lot to learn. And I also know that most of the people in my company, I think, are smarter and more skilled in many things than me. And I think, again, I think that's kind of the real skill of a leader is to acknowledge their own flaws and their own mistakes and to also acknowledge that I'm, you're not good at some things. For example, I have ADHD, which means for me, it's very easy to go from one meeting to the next. So to have eight hours back to back, no problem. But sit me down and ask me to write a four-hour report. be mm-hmm. fully focused on one topic. It's impossible for me. And for some other people, it's easy to do. We have, for example, the methodology for our CAM credits, which is a 65-page document. Mm-hmm. And Katarina wrote the document. I could never have done this. Even if you would have paid me 100,000 euros, I would have been incapable of doing this. And I think this is a very important skill of leadership is to actually know your own skills and your own weaknesses and to admit them as well and to also admit this failure. And I think that's the thing that I'm very much doing and very much indulging in and love doing. And I think many other people that just these short glimpses of me sometimes think I'm arrogant, which is often just a lack of time.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think even in how you have answered the questions today shows a deep level of self-awareness and understanding of what you're good at, what you're not good at, and what works with others, what you have tried, experimented, and what you have learned from that. And that's such a powerful skill. I think the way you have answered the question, I think reveals that there is a lot of work going on beneath that to do and to be able to do what you are dreaming of in the future, right? And yeah, so just to begin to wrap this up, right? I also know a lot of entrepreneurs or people in the social change space struggling to deal with the pressure or struggling to deal with just the negativity around climate change or what we have created and continue to create. So what advice would you have for somebody who has that desire or drive to make a difference, but they don't see a way forward or they see too much negativity and too little progress?
1: I think there always is hope, right? And I mean, that's also what we always focus on with Climate Farmers is know many of the solutions and we just need to start acting up on them. And I think the issue is we all need, we all play our little piece and no matter what your position is, you can do your part and you can play your role. And I think we all can give as much as we can give and that is fine. And if we don't take care of ourselves, then we can also not take care of the planet, right? So I think for me, the main thing is I try to enjoy my life still a lot and I know there's always something to do, but I still Mm -hmm. also make sure that I take my holidays I still also make sure that I enjoy life because if we are not doing that, then we can also not radiate to the outside. So I would say first, always think of self-care. And then when you love yourself and you take care of yourself, then you're also empowered enough to take care of the wider audience around you and hopefully also. Help.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's that metaphor of putting your own oxygen mask first. Yeah. And at times when you read, when you read newspapers or the media, it, it can seem like a huge dark cloud. But at the same time, you have to start where you are and not get overwhelmed by like the enormity of the situation and then taking that small step, what is in your control. And then as you said, right, if you're not enjoying life, then I don't know, making change, maybe you're going backwards, right? Making change or making any improvements is not worth it if your life itself is not improving or not getting better. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, so thank you for sharing that, right? And before we end, right, anybody who wants to reach out or find out more about what you're up to, what is the best way? For them to do so
1: yeah i mean for me personally i only have one social media account and that's on linkedin and uh, otherwise we have with climate farmers we have a website ClimateFarmers.org, where also if you have any farmers listening can join the community for free we have an amazing instagram account it's one of those things that i love i think we have an incredible social media i don't even have instagram mm-hmm. and i don't even know what we're posting but i get very good feedback from other people always and aline and esther who are doing an amazing job over there managing this so I think our Instagram account is great from what I'm hearing and personally get in touch with me on LinkedIn.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Philippe, for everything that you shared and everything that you're up to. I will make sure to like add the uh, links to your website and to your social media and Instagram also in the show notes when the episode comes out. And once again, I want to wish you all the best for everything that you are up to. I think, I think there are a few people who are doing something that you're doing and I think they need to be applauded and celebrated. So once again, I accept my gratitude.
1: Thanks a lot, Sumit. It was a pleasure to be talking with you. And really, thanks a lot for spreading the work as well with your podcast. Also, definitely very important work that you're doing there.
0: Absolutely, Philippe. It was a pleasure having you. Cool. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction not just for yourself but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews, go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.